are tuning in to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. My name is Bree, and you can find me at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. Check out the show notes for more information, including a link to my website. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Welcome. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Yoga Podcast. I am so excited for today's topic. It has been on my list for over a year. I am an Ashtanga practitioner, an Ashtangi, which is a discipline under this vast umbrella of yoga. And it has completely changed how I practice as well as influenced how I teach, in particular vinyasa flow. Now, although I do not teach Ashtanga, it is such a beautiful practice. It is very disciplined. It is spiritual on many levels. It truly taught me how to practice pratyama, meditation, mindfulness, and it is something that I've talked about in the past on Yoga Podcast. Now, one of the important factors is we call the studio space, the sacred space that we practice in, a shala. And for those of you who have a martial arts background, you might be familiar with the terminology dojo. And that is how I want you to think about this when we discuss shala in the yoga space. Now we're going to break down the differences between a yoga shala and a yoga studio. Now, check out today's show notes because there will be some important links to some past episodes that I will be referencing today, as well as a credit giving to an article that I'm going to also be utilizing in today's episode. Also, before we continue on, we're going to take a quick break. Do not skip ahead because I am going to talk about my new YouTube channel. So I'll meet you on the other side. Namaste, Yoga Podcast listeners. I am so excited to officially announce my new YouTube channel, Love Breezy Bree, where we will discuss topics that I consider to be yoga off of the mat. So check out today's show notes for a link to the new YouTube channel. I look forward to seeing you over there and continue to have weekly podcast episodes here on Yoga Podcast. Namaste. Let's jump right in. So let's talk about sacred space. Now, I do discuss this quite often on yoga podcasts because it is so important. Sacred space is where you feel safe and secure, where you can become more vulnerable, and in turn, making that mind-body-spirit connection. I like to think of my yoga mat as this inherent ability to be able to activate sacred space, helping me to immediately, once I step foot or I sit on the mat, I get grounded. And this is something that I really am intentional and mindful about. Now, I've created sacred space in my entire home. Whenever people enter into my home, there is a feeling that I want them to feel of really high vibrations. However, It is important for me to only invite people in my home that 
that I feel are already aligned in that space. And I'm very, very careful about who I invite and what our relationship and history is so that I can keep my space as sacred as possible. This has been a huge part of my own personal healing journey. And I do many things to keep my space sacred. And we talk a lot about the importance of this, especially for those who have suffered from trauma. Not having autonomy, not being able to have a space that they can truly be themselves is only triggering the past traumas that they experienced or the future traumas that they may need to be able to deal with, being more proactive and not just reactive. So sacred space is important. Now, when we think about yoga, we probably think about sacred space as being something that is synonymous with a yoga studio, a yoga practice. You know, there's this unspoken rule that if you're practicing in a collective or in a union with others, you're not going to step on each other's mats. You don't even need to have any rules about it. You're going to take your shoes off. You're going to be quiet and peaceful. But there is a difference that I want to share with you all when we think about the shala and the typical yoga studio that goes beyond just sacred space. Now, As I mentioned, I like to consider myself an Ashtangi, right? This is a practitioner of Ashtanga. And the reason why this is so important to me is because what I learned about yoga from the perspective of Ashtanga has forever changed my own personal practice and how I teach. And in particular, how I teach not only vinyasa flow, but even trauma-informed yoga. And why is that? It's because the language that we use can be contradictory to the sacred space that we're trying to create. And so in today's episode, we're going to really break that down. And I'm going to utilize an article that resonated with me that I will link in today's show notes and give credit to the author. Now, as we talk about this, if you've ever practiced martial arts, you might be familiar with the concept of the dojo. And the dojo is very similar to how we think about the shala in yoga. Now, a dojo actually translates to place of the way. And in Japanese philosophy, the way is a philosophical concept of a journey to higher being, to higher self, to like what we think of in yoga as the crown chakra or even above, the eighth chakra, the ninth chakra, right? It's really truly connecting to spirit in a philosophical way. So I want us to think about that as well when we're making this distinction between how yoga is really practiced in studio versus how it's practiced in a shala. Now, in Ashtanga in particular, there are not any mirrors. It's all about drishti. It's about seeing within self, about making that connection between time and space, not being worried about how you see yourself from a reflection or even others. It's really a solitary practice in union, in community. It's 
probably one of the most beautiful things I've experienced outside of meditation. And so I think that's important as we continue on this lifelong journey of yoga, of the philosophy of yoga, of the eight limbs of yoga, or respectively, any variation of yoga that you're connected to, even if it's not the eight limbs of Patanjali, right? We've talked about comedic yoga. So I want to be mindful of that. So let's get started by talking about this article. This article was written by Yan Ang, and I'm not going to read it all, but there's some really good points in this article that I want to bring up. So the first is the definition of shala. Shala is a word in Sanskrit meaning home. A yoga shala is a home where yoga is shared and experienced. You don't enter a home anywhere in Asia with your shoes on. You don't enter a home ignoring the owner or holder of its space, nor do you walk out doing the same. In most cultures, when you enter a home of another, you do so respectfully, peacefully, quiet, greeting the person that owns the home and thanking them when you leave their space. You clean up after yourself and you leave no trace of your presence. Places of education have no place in the ever-growing fitness industry. Not to mention it will be incredibly frustrating to attend a class and expect to get an education about the history, traditions, and philosophical teachings of Kung Fu. It simply is not the purpose. Yoga is no different from Kung Fu. It is an ancient art with a practice that is steeped in history, text, traditions, many tools and skills for the purposes to gain an education about our internal self-workings for both the betterment of our journey here and its place in the world. Yoga is taught in a shala. You will not gain an education in yoga attending asana classes at a studio. Similarly, it will be difficult to communicate with a teacher in a shala about counting calories or body fat percentage as it is just not the purpose. In a yoga studio, an instructor is hired by the studio usually by the hour or by percentage of clients attending. They are in service of those attending to make sure they get a workout or stretch to feel they got an exercise session where some techniques requiring strength or flexibility is exhibited. If a physical challenge and physical gain is the primary goal, then these classes may be ideal. However, there are other forms of exercise such as contortion or gymnastics or calisthenics that may produce faster results more efficiently than an asana class at the studio, if this is your personal focus. Unfortunately, egos are usually expanded as a side effect. In a yoga shala, the teachers have dedicated their lives, many sacrificing a normal schedule and common daily habits to educate others willing to learn yoga. Only one dynamic is happening in a yoga shala, that you are there to learn to be improved as a person from the teacher that is teaching. 
To try to bring in another dynamic is to create friction. Understanding this fundamental difference will save much embarrassment and conflict, but most of all, allow a conducive environment for both the student and teacher to maximize information faster. In a shala, the teacher is not there to cater to students, quite the opposite. As it is a place for self-improvement and reflection to take place, the teachers will commonly make known or balance tendencies in order to bring awareness and consideration for the practice, yourself and others around you. Quite often, your ego will react to the teacher. It makes part of the journey of self-improvement, egos, flare before they die. As a result, teachers in a shala are not there to be liked as it is their life's work to bring the experience of yoga to others. And this requires an immense amount of love, patience, and dedication to each student. They are not in the service industry. They are in a sacred, personal space, a home, a shala, which they created to educate those showing up to learn. They are not obligated to make you feel comfortable, pamper, nor to know what thoughts, opinions, or information you have derived from any source, regardless from where it was attained. Be it another teacher, YouTube, Facebook, a retreat, or workshop elsewhere, to do so is rather disrespectful. Like coming into someone's home to eat a dinner that was cooked for you and saying you had the same thing elsewhere better. If we are truly a student of yoga, our awareness in behavior should always be increasing with each year of practice that passes. In a yoga shala, you are there to learn from a teacher that is so deeply rooted in their journey they become the wall you lean on so that you may have a place to do the work. A teacher that is meant to teach you life tools for a steady platform for which unsteadiness can be observed. This is why we go to shalas. A benefit of being empowered with this distinction also gives us the privilege of having clarity spill over into other areas of confusion. To know this is also to recognize there is no course or trainings within a week, month, 200 hours, 500 hours that will allow you to be qualified to be a professor of physics at a university, become a jiu-jitsu instructor at a dojo, or a yoga teacher at a shala. Now, it makes sense that in order to be an educator in a specialized field, it requires years of practice in the topic and life dedication to the subject matter. To know this makes you so much more respectful of the person you have arrived to learn from, keeping you both grateful whilst humble, both virtuous traits you gained via entering the space from choice. The flow of energy and exchange of the relationship is agreeable and symbiotic. Teachers who educate have made life sacrifices to research their field and even more sacrifices to bring it to others. They therefore expect more from you because the room is not where it ends unlike an exercise class. The commitment, applications, and learning continues outside the classroom. For example, 
We learn this at an early age with homework, in college with research papers, and in yoga with practicing awareness in our behavior off of the yoga mat. To gain an education, reading and self-study is a must. There is no other way around it. And it is great to know that if we are attending a place that educates or provides workouts, in places of education regarding our internal self our or our spiritual education, you will typically find an area in the room dedicated to respecting the tradition and others that came before you or were responsible for the teachings, be it religious, spiritual, yoga, or martial arts. Exercise is great. And it's important. You want to do it. You want to make it an important part of your life. But it is not a life purpose. It is not something that you should expect an education from. Your spiritual practice or your philosophical practice, such as yoga, is the huge distinction between an exercise practice and a yoga practice. So one of the things that she has here is making sure you understand those gray areas where you are taking a moment to be mindful and to not have judgment and to make sure you understand the distinction of what you're doing because this is a philosophical and in many cases a spiritual practice and it is absolutely lifelong as I always mention on this podcast. Now I did talk about in the past which I will link below the difference between a yoga teacher and a yoga instructor and for me as I mentioned language is everything. I do not think that we take to heart the importance of language enough. Now, it's not something we should condemn people on, but rather we should be more mindful about, especially when you're working with people who suffer from trauma because language is everything. You can say something that means the exact same thing as something else, but say it in a way that is so offensive that it creates a person to shut down and no longer be willing to be educated by you, to be led in any way because it can be triggering. And that is something that I think we all need to understand just in general, how important words really are, that they have meaning behind them, that we could either lift someone up with the things we say or we can bring them all the way down. And the truth is we can do this to ourselves as well. Our, our own thoughts, the words that we tell ourselves daily is something we should be wholeheartedly mindful of. And one of the things I think that the article was really trying to convey on some level was when you're practicing in an educational environment like a shala, you are essentially learning mindfulness. You're learning how to really become this person who understands what sacred space and sacred moments and sacred language really is. It's yoga off of the mat. And why is this so crucial because as I've mentioned on yoga podcasts walking is actually probably more healthier 
in many respects for the majority of people than, let's say, asana practice. You know, I could probably take my 80-year-old grandmother out on a walk or someone who is more morbidly obese out on a walk as well as a child out on a walk as well as my dog we could all go on a walk and it would be equally healthful for all of us to do it right and so that is just not true of many other disciplines that are really healthy rather that be running or swimming or you know practicing yoga asana and so what I think is really important, the big takeaway is the idea that when you approach your practice of yoga as something that is fundamental and foundational to who you are and what you do, then what you do for actual exercise can be a whole entire different practice for you that has nothing to do with your yoga practice. Therefore, you're not expecting your yoga practice to be something that it wasn't designed to be. It was designed to create introspection for self, making that mind-body-spirit connection. I have a little quote that I always use in my show notes, and I'm going to pull it up. And it's, it's really important because it's something that I think really speaks to what yoga truly is. And it's true wisdom is the inner contemplation of self. And when you think about that and you think about learning how to breathe, learning how to meditate, how to become mindful, how to align your energy centers, how to raise your vibrations, how to connect back to self in such a way that it's life-changing. That's what I think about when I'm thinking about my yoga practice. Thinking about counting calories or you're wearing some sort of, you know, heart rate monitor or, you know, you're really trying to master crow. All of those things is not what's going to keep you in the practice lifelong. It is the philosophy. It is the study of yoga. And one of the other things she mentioned is the idea that you can become this yoga teacher in this set number of hours or credential. And although it is a good baseline to get people to be on the same page in an industry that is profitable, right? This is not a non-profitable industry. It's very profitable. Rather you agree with that or not, those are the facts. There had to be some sort of minimum requirement that people are very, you know, it's a very polarizing topic, I should say. And I've talked about that as well. Now, when you think about a shala, it's, it is bigger than this industry as we see it today it is something that is supposed to be sacred you know i have been a yoga studio manager i obviously own a yoga business and i have this podcast and there are many ways that i've tried to give back to the community and there are many things that i still plan to do that 
I like to think align me with the philosophy of yoga in the way that we think about it from a perspective of the shala, not from the perspective of the studio. And this isn't a right or wrong. This is a more, let's make that distinction so that we understand where we're at. We understand when we're walking into a space that is going to, you know, have a workshop today about headstands versus walking into a space that's going to really encourage repetitive mindfulness, right? And all of it's needed because we need people to really align themselves and become better humans. And if everyone just focused on them being better and everyone made that their number one job, self-care is a full-time job, by the way, everyone just focused on that, then that accountability and, and responsibility and discipline would translate collectively, right? Another thing I wanted to talk about in today's episode was the thought of discipline. When you walk into a dojo or a yoga shala or a meditation center, which a lot of dojos are, are considered now as well, You are not only recognizing the sacredness of the space, the taking off the shoes, the being mindful, the being peaceful, all of those things that are sort of becoming lost in your typical studio as well. You know, there used to be this inherent rule that you would know to turn your phone off or leave it behind and take your shoes off and be quiet and be mindful and peaceful. And, you know, as a yoga teacher in a studio setting, not in a shala setting, I can attest to that being a lost, you know, respect amongst the collective, right? And whenever you need to put a sign up to tell people to be quiet, then you know you haven't activated sacred space naturally, organically. Well, as I was saying, when we think about discipline, Discipline is also inherent in these sacred spaces like a shala and a dojo. If you've ever been a part of a larger meditative center community, you might have been a part of their cleaning crew as well. (laughs) You know, if you've ever worked with a master of a martial arts um, discipline or you know, even ashtanga or something of that variation, you might have seen the idea that we all seen in like Karate Kid, right? Where you have to constantly show up and improve yourself before the master will take you on. You know, to be able to train under uh, a sensei or a teacher or, you know, I'm not a fan of the word guru because of the, the link that and the triggers to the trauma community. But if you're thinking about a traditional guru in the most highest vibrational sense, that whole idea of having to prove yourself in order to have time with them and then the respect and the honor and the loyalty that transfers over and if everybody is doing it from a place of, of humanity and goodness, then it's from a good place, not from a place of, you know, just authority and ego, obviously, and and abuse that can come from that. But I don't want to digress. I just want to make that that clear. 
that when we're thinking about it from a good perspective, from a high vibrational perspective, it's beautiful. And it creates discipline because if you have to prove your commitment and if that proof comes in a variety of ways, whether it's you know, cleaning the dojo, cleaning the meditation center, cleaning the shala, you know, literally on hands and knees, scrubbing the floors, keeping it pristine, keeping the space cleansed, which is a sign of respect and energy cleansing as well from a spiritual perspective. It's also disciplining you. How bad do you want this? I know um, in Ashtanga, it's customary to practice one asana at a time and you essentially graduate to the next asana. So you might be holding a pose, a forward fold for a couple of weeks before you move up into another posture. If you're in martial arts, you might be in horse for weeks before moving to the next posture. This is customary of these philosophies because of the discipline built into it. It completely slows down time and space. You are present, you're mindful, you're living in the moment, and you're more likely to translate that off of the mat. Everything you say, everything you do will become more mindful and you will become more present. Your life, no matter how many years you have on this planet, will become intentional. And this is more important than ever in today's culture of you know, the microwavable culture. You know, I haven't owned a microwave in seven years, seven and a half years. And I did that purposefully because one of some of the healthier benefits of not having a microwave, but also having to decide that I'm going to warm up my food traditionally or cook, cook a new meal and just being really mindful of what I'm putting in my body and how much I'm ordering and eating if I need to microwave it later, you know, if I'm doing some sort of a takeout situation. All of those things have made me sometimes curse myself, not going to lie. <laughs> doing things the long way in a world where you don't have to is a very difficult choice to make. But it's a choice that I love because, one, it is a choice. There's freedom in choices. And there's so much freedom in discipline. As I record today's episode, I might have had the most productive weekend that I've had in months that I can remember. And it didn't feel forced. It wasn't planned. It was just discipline and productive. And the feeling that you get, the pride, the self-esteem, the joy, the contentment, the peace that you have from that is so beautiful. As I record this episode, I'm recording it from a place of, ha, ah, I get to record. This is great. There's nothing looming. There's nothing waiting on this to be done. It's, it's a part of my beautiful process of being a yoga teacher. And in this episode, I'm creating sacred space. I'm creating a shala environment for myself and hopefully for you. And so ultimately, as someone who has been a studio manager, someone who has been a studio teacher, I can tell you the more that I lean into what I teach on Yoga Podcast, the less 
I'm inclined to really lean into the other side. And I don't want to become so far removed from what draws people into the practice because that's where the beauty happens with those brand new students, the the yoga for beginners, that 101 mindset. And I want to teach that because I want you to learn how to be a practitioner and how to be a student. We call you yoga students for a reason because there should be learning happening. And I am so adverse to the idea of yoga instructor. I'm a dance instructor for sure. I'm also a dance teacher. And when I'm instructing, it is very different than when I'm teaching. And I like to think about that as a yoga teacher. You know, I do not like and have not ever called myself a yoga instructor. And so that is just something that has always mattered to me on my entire journey. And that is something that has been solidified and really validated through my own personal practice. As I've talked about for the last three years, almost 450 episodes on yoga podcasts, the reason why I did not have yoga videos or have a YouTube channel with videos that I kept consistently uploading so that you could just go and watch it is because I wanted you to learn how to listen to self, how to learn how to sequence your classes, how to learn to honor your body, how to choose five to 10 postures and and just cycle them through your practice because that's what your body loves and enjoys and appreciates and really focus on the breath and being present and mindful and meditative through your movements. And as I announced I have started a new YouTube channel and it's all about yoga off of the mat, but my intentions are to begin introducing yoga on the mat classes and they will not be your typical yoga classes that you would find on YouTube where we are doing kickups or, you know, build your booty pumps. It's going to all be about creating sacred space a mindful moving meditation, and learning the importance of language through teaching and receiving so that you can truly stay introspective throughout your yoga practice. So I hope to create more of a shala environment, even if it's through the ether, which is one of my favorite elements. <laughs> and I hope that you can begin to lean into those ideas so that you understand that this practice, this philosophy, this mind-body spiritual connection that you're making back to yourself is something you can do in conjunction, in tandem with other practices that might be really important to your life important to your calorie counting and, you know, um, body image and, and fitness routine and regimen and heart rate and all of that, but that you start to separate that from your yoga practice and you allow your yoga practice to be something deeper so that you don't feel like if you didn't bust a sweat or you didn't get crow in, in three hours or three classes or in a workshop setting or whatever goes through the mind when we're in practice, that you can just let that go. And when you are in a studio, not shala 
experience and environment that you just appreciate it for what it is, but you know that your practice is something beautiful. One of the things I've talked about on yoga podcasts is when I was a teacher in studio class, I loved when my students would go off script. I'm sorry, guys. I hope you can't hear all of that ruckus outside. I love recording on my balcony, but there are drawbacks to that because I can pick up everything that's happening and I am in a metropolitan area. So anyway, um, one of the things I talk about or I used to talk about on yoga podcast was when I had a student that would go a bit off script. So maybe I was, you know, leading the class through a certain sequence and I had a student that was just really filling their breath or really filling their arms in the air and just taking extra time to arrive to the next place. And maybe they weren't exactly in line with the, the choreography, so to speak, of the class, but they were there. They were present. You know, they weren't doing something distracting. They were just taking a little bit extra time in downward facing dog and taking a little bit of extra time, you know, in a balancing posture, posture coming in and out of it. And I say all that because one of my yoga Q&A, um, you know, past episodes was how do teachers feel about students that do that? And I had maybe what might be considered an unpopular opinion, which was I love it. I love seeing people enjoy their practice to the point where they're honoring their body. And again, maybe it's because I'm a, an ashtangi. Maybe it's because I'm a trauma survivor. Maybe it's because I teach trauma-informed practices such as yoga. So I have an appreciation for autonomy that maybe other people just cannot see, you know. But I've also been, you know, in ballet and gymnastics and, and been a coach and an instructor of those very, very disciplined disciplines <laughs> where you are not allowed to go off a script. And I understand that, you know, dynamic, but I also appreciate that yoga allows me as a student, as a practitioner and my students themselves as a teacher to be able to not treat that like we have to treat pretty much everything else in our lives, which is from a tax task, I should say, orientation. So I just want to leave us with that. Remember, discipline is, is freedom. Remember, autonomy is sacred. And lean into creating the sacred space for yourself and, and visiting a shala, you know, visiting a studio and learning what the differences are and not judging, but rather appreciating and deepening your practice. So with that said, thank you so much for allowing me to utilize this platform in such a beautiful way as a teacher. And thank you for being here, lending me your ears through this beautiful element of ether. Do go in peace. Namaste. I am so honored that you are listening to the Love Breezy Bree Yoga podcast. Never miss an episode. Download the free app on iTunes, Apple Podcast, Spotify, or Stitcher. 
Please also rate the show with five stars. I would greatly appreciate that. Visit me on my website at lovebreezybreeyoga.com. I include free yoga sequences every single month. You can leave a comment or message me and we can connect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful, wonderful personal practice. Namaste. Namaste.